Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's Kayla. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. <laughs> oh boy, do we not have it figured out. And that is okay. Today, I'm sitting down with a remarkable woman who has a fascinating story. Favia Dubik is a New Mexico-based climber, wife, and mom to a rescue pup, Hans. Favia's story is truly compelling and she is so candid and honest with us today. Favia climbed her way through a cancer diagnosis, chemotherapy, and recovery. I'm so grateful to finally have her on this podcast. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the lovely Favia Dubik. And I am here with Favia Dubik. Favia, I am 
so genuinely thrilled to have you on Directionally Challenged. I found you on social media. You are such a remarkable woman, someone who I've wanted to have on the podcast for a very long time. I'm inspired by you and your work. You are a world-renowned climber. You are a doctor. You are a cancer survivor. Women like you are the reason that we created this podcast. You know, I think the C word cancer is is one of the scariest words that exists. I went through it with firsthand with my mom. She is now 13 years in remission. And I know you are years in remission as well. And it is not an easy journey. And I know that you say climbing is your reason for living. And that some might think you're being dramatic in saying that. But for those of us who know your story. We know there is so much more to it. So I'm wondering if you feel comfortable. Can you take us back to when you were 24 years old, you were halfway through medical school, dating a great guy, going on weekly climbs, and then suddenly you found yourself unable to breathe when you raised your arms? I can't believe it's been almost a, like a decade now because still it kind of feels like yesterday, but also feels like a decade at the same time, like a whole different life. But going back to that time period, my life felt like it was nearly perfect. Like I had my dream career, dream guy, dream activity, like it had no complaints. And then suddenly I couldn't breathe and I couldn't eat and I couldn't swallow liquids. And this whole process had been going on for about six months. So it started about six six months before we saw the mass itself. I started getting, I guess, small infections. And I'd always kind of been a sickly person. So I've lived my life on antibiotics from seven to like 19, had surgeries for infections. So getting these smaller infections wasn't anything new for my life. I didn't think anything of it. But they slowly started to get more serious and not just not getting better. And I went to the to the doctors and they just kept saying, you know, it's your asthma or you're a med student and you just did the cancer block. Y'all always think you have cancer. And they weren't wrong. We had just done the cancer block. <laughs> and I I did read, I was like, ooh, my <sighs> symptoms are kind of similar to this. <laughs> So, so they were correct, <laughs> except for I really was the mess student who had cancer. <laughs> but, so I lived many months like that, but it wasn't until I could no longer get nutrients in and oxygen that I said, well, there, this is something more than stress, more than asthma. There's something really, really wrong with me. So I made appointments with every specialist I could think of. I said, someone will give me an x-ray because I had asked my primary care doctors to give me an x-ray and they had denied me. They, I was, I was starting to lose my vision at some points. And so I did have like an MRI of my head, but like no chest x-ray. So with these specialists, I told them my complaints, like cough, difficulty breathing, and we got the x-ray and it showed a 13 cm mass in my chest. And for those who don't know, like I'm a small woman and 13 cm is nearly the entire size of my chest so it goes from like nearly one shoulder to the other shoulder and that's why I couldn't breathe or eat was because the mass was so big it was pressing on my trachea and my esophagus so you would think the road like everything that would be everything from here on out would be easy but it actually just got harder because we now we knew I had 
big mass that was likely cancer, but we couldn't figure out what type of cancer it was. Uh, that's what I was going to say, Favia, is not only do you experience this most terrifying uh, moment where they tell you you have cancer, it it just magnifies it so much more by telling you they're not sure what type of cancer. I cannot imagine experiencing that. And as someone in the medical field, what did that feel like? You know, it felt, well, just getting the diagnosis of you have cancer was devastating. I couldn't believe it. And it's actually taken me a lot of years to kind of recover from that because now I unfortunately kind of feel like when life is going well, something has to like come in and like devastate me. But since I was in the medical field, I understood that they couldn't tell what type of cancer I had by the x-rays. And so I said, I just thought like, oh, well, it'll be easy. Like you just do a biopsy. And then you'll know. I had very little understanding what pathologists do and how hard their job is. And that's what I am now. And so it actually took a couple of weeks for me to be like, why don't you know now? <laughs> Wait, why don't you know? It's been a month now. Like, where's my diagnosis? And so it wasn't in the beginning that I wasn't upset. It was like, like a few weeks in that I was shocked that the pathologist couldn't figure out why I was dying. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine how that must have felt. And, you know, you're, you eventually ended up having to do chemo and you're really candid on your blog about your experience with chemo and what life felt like. And you talk about how you felt like you were in a coma and then it was a wish for death, then back to a chemo. And then as an active person, this entire experience was so incredibly difficult. You say if you knew that you were going to survive, you would have, you needed one goal to look forward to when you finished your treatment. And I think you write about it and you say it's a reason to live, right? And you decided that that would be climbing. You were determined to get your strength back and come back even stronger than before, which I, I know at one point you were down to only one working limb. I believe it was your left leg, right? And your friends and boyfriends at the time would have to come and help you do regular bodily things, like lift you onto a toilet, you know? So so when you're at that point and you set this massive goal for yourself, I mean, that's a, that's a big one. Um, can you talk to us about the decision to do that and the, and the mental strength it must have taken to decide that that was what was going to get you out of this? So the, during chemo, it was a very low point. Like I asked my then boyfriend, now husband to kill me. I said, I just can't live like this. Be, not even just being like inactive on the couch, but just the pain of like the constant vomiting and dry heaving. And to get to the cancer, they had like cut both my pecs. So any movement of anything hurt. And like you mentioned, I only had one working limb because I had my port in my leg and my arms didn't work. It was just torture. And I just didn't want to go on like this. And once you've had one cancer, you're likely to get another cancer. And I was like, am I going to live my entire life like on this couch, not be able to do anything? Luckily, my husband, our boyfriend then was like, nope, <laughs> not killing you. Keep on suffering. <laughs> and so that was when I had to think like, well, why do I want to suffer? Why, what's 
what's worth in life going through all of this? And it was rock climbing for me. And so I just held on to that thought that eventually you'll get to go rock climbing. And it was actually kind of easy to hold on to that while I was going through chemo because in my mind, chemo stopped and I returned to normal. Like that's, that's honestly what I thought. And chemo stopped. I had my remaining surgeries and I wasn't any better. <laughs> I was just as weak as I was like when I was on chemo. The recovery wasn't like you stop chemo and you're, you're like back to doing pull-ups. And that was when the, that's when it hit me. Like I was devastated, sad, angry. I actually like, I was so mad about everything because when you're really, really sick and at this point it had been nearly a whole year and you're on the verge of death and you don't, I wasn't thinking about life or recovery I was just thinking about making it to the next second. I wasn't even really thinking about how much I'd lost. And after I was done with chemo, it had finally all hit me. I had all these emotions, like an emotional storm. And most of them weren't positive emotions. And so I needed a way to get it out. So maybe about a week after my final surgery, I still had stitches in my leg. I like limped into the Cleveland Boxing Club. And I, and I said, like, I need to hit something. <laughs> And they looked at me and like, clearly like I'm this like sickly, like barely walk, barely function human being. And they're like, okay, but we're not going to start there. And that is kind of how I started my recovery was going to the, to these like boxing lessons. And they, I don't know, they, they kind of treated me like a, not like a sick person, which I really liked. They didn't ask me too much about what I went through because reliving it at that time was, it was too fresh. So I, I was kind of a fresh start and they let me be as slow as I possibly could at every exercise. And then going through that for about four or five months allowed me to step foot in the climbing gym about six, seven months after I finished chemo. And that was another hurdle because I had finally kind of thought I was had a little bit of strength from the boxing gym. Let me tell you, I wasn't boxing actually. I was like doing like sit-ups and stuff, but like it was nice to be in this like gym area. But when I walked into the climbing gym, I couldn't climb. <laughs> I couldn't climb a single thing. I, I couldn't climb the easiest thing in the wall because I couldn't lift my arms up. And so that was like another like fallback. Like I just like felt like I was like hit all over again, back to like, on the ground, on my butt. And I had to relearn how to climb, be able to lift my arms up above my head. Like I had to take baby steps for everything, which I had taken for granted before. Like lifting your arms to like, you know, put your clothes on. Like you just think you could always do that. <laughs> but I couldn't right. at that time. No, and of course you think that, right. And what's so interesting about this time is you took this so seriously. You formulated spreadsheets. I mean, you read up on how to train for climbing. You kept track of your progress all the way. And I mean, I think at this point you got married and then you guys 
did a climb on your honeymoon in Panama, right? And you hadn't touched a real rock. You'd been in the rock gym. First, you went to the boxing gym. Then you went to the rock gym. And then you hadn't touched a real rock on a climb in two years. And you talk about how you're... Can you talk to us about your tour guide and how he was an unbelievable climber and this is what you needed? Oh, yes. That was quite the experience because I hadn't been on rock in a long time. I hadn't been on rope in even a longer time. And he was, he was, he was very inspirational. Like he was so impressive. He was climbing without a rope, doing tricks like 40, 50 feet off the ground. And he got me on some easier climbs. And then he actually gave me some advice that I, that stayed with me forever because I kept asking him, like, I want to top rope some slightly harder stuff. And he told me like, no, you're not going to top rope harder stuff. I'm going to put you on lead climbing. And lead climbing is where the rope is beneath you. So when you fall, you fall like more feet because you have to fall to your latest pivot point. So, cause your gear's underneath you. And so it's more scary. And he said that it's, best to just go ahead and do lead climbing that's easier and like get be brave instead of staying within like my comfort zone of of top roping and so I got on lead it took me about an hour to get up that rock I had such soft baby skin that I was bleeding everywhere (laughs) but I made it up and it was it was incredible and I still think about his advice, like now when I get on rope and I want to stay in my comfort zone, I'm like, what would he say? <laughs> so wow. I mean, was... I have to say, like women who rock climb are so badass. I mean, I for those who have yet to see Favia on social media, you have to check her out because you are just, I mean... From this story that we're talking about right now to what I see today, it is, I mean, you are you full embodiment of just power and owning who you are. And I, I, I am so, the story is so compelling because we now know where you end up and, and your strength and what you have done in this recovery is is remarkable. I mean, I, I just think you are absolutely incredible to watch. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. we're back. What is it about climbing that you love so much? Oh, I love that it is a physical activity that you have to solve with your brain. When I'm climbing, like I know where I have to go from point A to point B, but the, the question is, how do I get there? How do I hold the handhold? Where do I place my feet? Do I breathe? Do I inhale or exhale? Like I have to think about my, my breathing to be able to do a move. Like I can't do this move if I'm breathing out. So I have to like hold my breath and then I can relax. All of that thinking, but it's all dependent on like my arms and my fingers and my strength. That combination is just incredibly fun for me. And I'll have you know that I still have all those spreadsheets. (laughs) I still keep track of everything I do, (laughs) even now. (laughs) Wow. And so what does that do for you? Having a spreadsheet and keeping track of your progress, why is that so important? I'm a competitive person. And even with yourself, even with myself. So I don't do competitions most of the time. I have done a few climbing competitions, but most of the time it's like me versus the rock. And I want to know how to beat this rock. And I see that as like, either like me getting stronger or my technique getting better. But for the stronger, like how do I know if I'm getting stronger? So I keep track and then I see, oh, last week I lifted 80 pounds. This week I want to try to do 85 and next week 90. Like it helps me know what my goal should be for each week because I want to beat myself or at the very least stay the same, but I really want to beat myself every single week. And that's kind of how I, how I attack my different rock climbing projects. Yes. Attack is such a great word. You do attack it. But uh, and I'm sorry, because I think I got us a little off track. We were still discussing your recovery. But 
speaking of attacking, you attacked this recovery. And I would love to, at this point, just talk about how there were two parts to your recovery. There was the physical part, but then also the the mental part. And you s- speak so eloquently and write so eloquently about your surgical scars and how they were weighing so heavy on you. And you felt like they were these horrible reminders of what you had been through. What helped you move past this? I mean, did you do what did you do to move past it? Tattoos, which is such a brilliant way to own it. Can you walk us through this decision and what your tattoos mean to you? Yeah. So every time I looked down on my chest, I saw these two scars uh, from where they cut my chest open to get biopsies of the lymphoma. And then I have a pretty big scar on my leg from where my port is. And then I have more scars from like chest tubes and other surgeries. And I just would look down and I would just be brought back to that bad time. And I, I know that some people like look at the scars and be like, I'm a warrior. But for me, it just, it just took me back and brought me down. And when I walked, you know, down the street or went to the store, I could tell people would look at them. And some people would ask me like, oh, did you have breast cancer? Like, so when I was going to like everyday places and I felt okay, people would bring me back to this dark time. And I thought, well, I need to figure out a way to not be brought back and for this to be kind of like a, a happy, cool thing. So I, I, mean, I tried other procedures. Like I got went to dermatologists and we tried different like lightning things. We got steroid shots. I tried all these things to try not to see the scars, but none of them worked. And the dermatologist actually discouraged me from getting scars because she says tattoos over scars don't look good. But despite that advice, I said, you know what, I'm going to try it because I can't feel much worse about these scars than I do now. And so first I got a scar, uh, I mean, a tattoo on my leg of cats because I love cats. And I have cats romping around in a field playing with butterflies and birds. And so now I look down and I don't really think about cancer. I think about how much I love cats. <laughs> okay. And then on my chest, I have more, I have the flowers from the field on my leg were so pretty that I asked him to kind of recreate that on my chest. And now when I like go out, you can't tell I have scars there. And people just say, hey, that's a, like a sick chest tattoo cool chest tattoo. And they're, they're, no one's asking me if I had cancer. Like it's, it's so nice to be able to choose when I share my story. So I don't have to share it with everyone. I can just tell some people, thank you. And then for other people, I can choose to say like, oh yes, it covers up like my surgical scars when I had cancer. But having that choice is nice. It must be night and day, the difference of feeling like you don't have to share your story if you don't want to. I can imagine that is freeing. I think you've done such a good job of letting this be a part of your experience, but not letting it define you. And you don't ignore it, but you own it, but you also handle it with such grace. I want to thank you for sharing because I wanted our listeners who are struggling with a diagnosis or have a loved one that's struggling with a diagnosis or a traumatic life experience to know that even if you're going through this or if you have been through this, that 
it's always going to be a part of you, but you don't have to let it define you. Is there other advice or guidance that you can offer those out there that are maybe in the middle of it or beginning their journey or still struggling with, you know, the fact that they've been through something of this magnitude? So my advice for people who are starting this journey, it's horrible. (laughs) I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is horrible, but it's something you can get through and it does get better on the other side, but it's not instant. And I kind of wish someone had told me that because as I mentioned, I thought the day I finished chemo, I would go back to living life like before I had cancer. And that is not true. Recovery is slow. It can take years, decades, and your or your entire life for you to recover from this life-changing ordeal you've been through. And that's okay. I've, I've talked to some other cancer survivors who weren't far out in the recovery, and they're like, when will I feel better? I'm like, it, it, I'm 10 years out now, and I'm still recovering. <laughs> Every year it gets better. And once I accept it, that it's not like a night and day thing, my mental health improved a lot because I think we just expect to feel good quickly. And the road to recovery isn't a linear line. There are ups and downs. So like you might feel good one month and then you might get an infection the next month and then you feel better in the infection. And then eventually those infections will be like, you know, with more months in between of good. And then it might be a year into your next infection or something like that. So just be very patient with this process. Patience with yourself can be a very difficult thing. And that's such wonderful advice. You know, as being someone who saw firsthand with my loved one, my mom is my rock and my everything, um, pun intended. And I, is there advice you have for family members or loved ones? What did he do that really helped you through it? Because sometimes I know speaking from my own personal experience, it's hard to know what to do. And sometimes it feels like whatever you do is never enough. You wish you could take it away. You almost wish it upon yourself over your loved one because that way you can control it. And it's so difficult for all parties involved. Can you speak to that experience in a little, in a way of what helped, what he did that truly helped you so that those of us who are or have gone through it can know you know, family members of people who have cancer or a serious illness, it is, I don't think they get enough credit. Like it is hard on, on y'all. It's hard on everyone, person who's sick, but you guys might even have a tougher role because for me, I was just trying to survive and I couldn't see what was, ha- I, I couldn't see from the outside what was happening. Like I didn't know, like I was in the ICU. I didn't know I nearly died. Like, but they did. And they had to sit there and wonder, like, is she going to make it through the surgery? <laughs> so it was it's extremely hard right. on the right. family. <laughs> and I luckily, I have a wonderful supportive family. And so the, I think the best advice I have is for like, A, for the family, like, please take time for yourself to do something that you love. Because taking care of a loved one can consume you 24-7. But you do your best care when you're healthy and feeling good. And so take an hour or 
two hours to do something that's away from taking care of your loved one. Like if like my husband, he would go mountain biking, but we kind of had to make him. We'd have like, like, please, like, go do this. You love this. Don't sacrifice everything for this whole year. <laughs> like I'll, I'll be okay for two hours. And so I, I think everyone needs to take some sort of time for themselves so they can recuperate and heal and relax. And then also it's just, I guess, being understanding that the person is not themselves at this moment. So if they're, if the person who's sick is like a little snippy or quiet, just not acting like they normally do, they're not responding to text messages, it's not personal. Like it has nothing to do with what you're doing. It's because they feel so bad. So I know that I like didn't respond to text messages because holding the phone was too much effort. But some people, you know, didn't know that it was too hard for me to respond by text. And so they're like, well, why is Fabi ignoring me? So I had like, you know, kind of like mixed some apologies after. Like, I wasn't ignoring any of you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just so sick. I couldn't text. Being understanding of their situation that is not personal. It's important. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And we're back. Right. And, you know, in this day and age... We do. We text a lot. We don't talk on the phone as much. It's so difficult to communicate in a few words what you're going through. And so it's easier almost to just 
not be able to do that, let alone you couldn't even hold the, the phone up. And I think when you were discussing your recovery, you had said, you know, eight months out, your friends were texting you like, hey, we're over here, come join us. And I'm sure they were so excited that you are done with chemo and that they're thinking she can come hang out with us again. And you felt such a, a struggle and a turmoil because you would love to go hang out with them, but it was just such a difficult transition for you, correct? Correct. I still say that in October of 2012, Fabia died and now we have Fabia 2.0. <laughs> and I felt like my soul died. I just felt like a different person after October. And I knew that other people didn't know that. Like they, I'm outside, I still look like Fabia. So they didn't know that I didn't feel the same. And I didn't have the energy to explain to them like, oh, old Fabia could do that. New Fabia can't do that right now. And so I like didn't talk to people for a while, like for months afterwards. I, I also sent apologies for that. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry for ignoring y'all after I finished chemo, but it was just too hard because it would have been a constant explanation of, no, I'm too weak to do that activity. No, I can't do that activity. Uh, I know I used to be able to do this, but I can't do it right now. I'll be able to do it sometime in the future, but I don't know when. Like that was all exhausting. And I just didn't have the strength to deal with that exhaustion. So I avoided a lot of my friends for for a bit. Do you feel like, now, I know you mentioned this briefly when we started our interview, that you are the 2.0 version of yourself still. I am still a 2.0 version, mostly because I have a lot of memory loss. I have amnesia. It's called chemo brain. And I lost about two years of memory, even like before chemo. I actually have a hard time remembering Fabio 1.0. Uh, so this is kind of like Fabia 2.0 is just Fabia now. I did ask my friends recently, am I like the same as I was before? And they're like, yeah, you're the same. So I think Fabia 2.0 now is similar to 1.0, except for I have some limitations, some long-term side effects from the cancer. But I think personality-wise, although I can't remember, I'm pretty similar. Having amnesia is very strange. I don't remember dating my husband. <laughs> At all. I have like some, if we have pictures of activities, then I, I can like kind of remember a little bit, but often he'll be like, do you remember this? And I'm like, nope, I don't remember. I'm sure we did that, but I don't remember. And a lot of these stories I'm telling you is from like him telling me because <laughs> I'm like, I don't remember much. Wow. And so do you find yourself looking at pictures and video just to remind yourself of what it was like to first date your husband or of your wedding day or of, you know, these really significant life moments that you can't remember? You know, I, it's still a little painful to look at the pictures of us dating because when we were dating, I was being diagnosed. Like we celebrated our six month anniversary of dating while I was in on chemo. So we had just met uh, before I got my diagnosis and the, our entire dating time is like woven in with my illness. So when I look at those pictures, I actually, I still feel lost. Like I feel like I still, it takes me back to like my soul dying and 
like my whole life being turned upside down. It's not, unfortunately, it's not pleasant feelings. Like it's, I can't look at the pictures and be like, oh, that was a great date. I look at those pictures and it's like, oh, she didn't know what was going to happen. No, and that's smart. And it's good to know what you can do and what you can't do. That's all a part of recovery. Do you still now feel when everything's going great that something's going to happen? Absolutely. I try to tell myself that that's likely not how the world works. <laughs> but I still feel that way. It. It's gotten a lot better like every decade or every decade, every year. That feeling is kind of going away a little bit. But for the first year or two, every time Brian would drive to work, I thought for sure he was going to like die in a car accident. I thought for sure he was not returning. And that that was a hard way to live. Now it's better, but I, I still, like, I never had this thought before I got sick. And I'm not sure if it'll ever go away, but I can reason with myself a little bit better now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you find your recovery is a daily thing, an hourly thing? Is it something that you can check in weekly with yourself? Where are you in this recovery as we speak? Let me tell you, it is so good to be out of the second thing. Like I used to be recovering was every second. I was living second to second. It took me four years, I think, to start living week by week. So in a four-year period, I went from seconds to like a week. I remember the day I looked in the mirror and I said, I didn't think about having cancer all yesterday. I went a whole day. Mm. <laughs> so now... I'm about a decade out, I have to kind of actually remind myself because I'll get hard. Like, why can't I do this? Like, why can't I do this move? Why can't I recover from this long work day? Or why do I need more sleep than others? And then I have to be like, oh yeah, Fabio, you forget you had cancer and you're not even supposed to be doing any of these things that you can do. <laughs> So be nice. Uh, so so now is is like I mean I think about it every week because I get frustrated with climbing when I can't do something. But it's not quite a survival mode anymore. It's a be kind to yourself. Be happy that your body can do what it can do. I just think you're so brave, and not only I don't mean you know summiting all the rocks that you summit. I I mean sharing your story too and being so candid. Like I said, I came across it and was just so moved. I, I couldn't stop reading your blog. And, and I'm a huge fan of you and how you share your story because having gone through it with a loved one, it's not an easy thing to do. And I really appreciate and respect how you've handled the whole situation. And I think life brings us a lot how we handle it defines who we are. And thank you for going there with us today because I know it's not easy. And as you said, you are still in recovery in the sense of, you know, learning and growing and finding out each day. And I'm so glad to hear that you're at a, at a week and I'm excited for when you're at a month and then a year and then you can, you know, uh, know and love what you've gone through and hopefully, you know, 
embrace it, but then not have it be a constant reminder. And thank you for everything. I, I really want everyone to, if those who want to take up rock climbing, you can check out Favia's blog. It's traversegirl.com. You can find her on Instagram. It's at Feline Favia. Can you share just for a minute what advice you have for those who are interested in taking on this sport, but might be a little intimidated by it because it's fascinating, but it can be a bit intimidating at times. It can be very intimidating. So I just tell everyone that, well, first, you don't need to be able to do a pull-up. You don't need strong fingers. You just need to, you know, be willing to have some fun and like fall on your butt a little bit to be able to go rock climbing. So you can go to your, your local gym. And nowadays, rock climbing is so popular that most, like, well, all big cities have climbing gyms and even like smaller towns now have climbing gyms. Just go in there and give it a whirl and everyone is bad the first time. <laughs> like, so if you're, if you're not, you know, think if you're not looking like everyone else, that's how we all started. And I had to do it twice. I had it suck when I first started. And then I had to like, you know, after cancer come back and not be able to climb the stuff that I used to be able to climb. So like, it's just part of rock climbing and the progression and it's fun. So please just go out with an open mind and give it a whirl. I love it. Favia, thank you so much. You're, I'm just so grateful that you joined me today to have this conversation. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. I'm at a loss for words after my conversation with her because, you know, there's just so much to learn from her. And when you stumble across someone on the internet and start to read their story, I just couldn't get enough of her and her motivation and her strength and her tenacity. And I'm so grateful that she shared her story with us. And I really encourage you guys to go check her out on Instagram because she is a force. This is just the beginning of her story. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. We have another great episode coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions, hosted by me, Kayla Yule. Produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Imprint Productions. Editing by Diane Kang. Post-production sound by Coco Lawrence. Production assistance by Melanie D. Watson. And advertising partnership with Acast. <laughs>